I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode where we watched Hero, the 2002 film directed by Zhang Yi Mao and starring Jet Li, Tony Leung, and Maggie Chung. This is a classic of modern martial arts cinema and was inspired for us to have this conversation by the recent release of Marvel's Shang-Chi. Which we also talk about. Exactly, which we also have a lengthy discussion about in this episode. So come hear our thoughts on Shang-Chi, and if you have never checked out Hero, it is a ton of fun. It is streaming now on HBO Max. Disclaimer, there's a fair amount of uninformed Marvel knowledge <laughs> coming from me on this episode. So if that's not your thing and you, you stand with Marvel, uh, send me an email and, and we can talk about it. But Ma- Matthew brings us back to uh, maybe a, a compromise in between and or a, pl- a place of peace. And I think it's a good conversation. You know, whether you've seen Shang-Chi, whether you're keeping up with Marvel or whatever, but definitely check out Hero. And we will go ahead and cut to today's conversation, already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Does the end justify the means? I don't know. But at the end of the day, what, what else can you choose but if not to lay down your life? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I get that by doing that, a lot of people are going to no, die. I know. And, and like, a lot of people criticized the movie when it first came out as being, like, pro, you know, totalitarianism. And the director is very, like, has, like, stated pretty unequivocally, I was making no political statement. This is about a hero's journey. And, right. And I think, I think to, to take him at his word and to take the movie at its word... I think you get to that. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty nuanced. No, I I agree. Yeah, like we'll just jump in. But the one of my favorite shots is of him walking back down the steps after not assassinating the yes. king, and he's treated with such like this is guy is the most dangerous, yeah, person on the planet. Yeah. Versus him walking up and he's being honored. When when he's being honored, it's like they really think he's dangerous because he killed these assassins. Yeah. Now that they know that he didn't. Yeah. And he spared the king. Yeah. And he's laying down his life. Mm. Now he's the most dangerous man, you know? Mm. The fact that he has enacted basically no violence. Right. Exactly. Mm. They're, like, so much more fearful of him. I was like, wow, Wow. this this is hitting, you know? And and he says that when he chooses not to kill the emperor. And he says, many people will die today because of this decision that I'm that I've made. And so there's mm-hmm. a, there's a recognition of the consequence, but right. he sees no other way. Right. And even the king is like I want peace, I want yeah. unification. So to me it's like especially the king's response like this is complicated. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I just like that that kind of contrast. I always like I always love looking at the first and last of a movie, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the intro and outro mm-hmm. and how they complement each other. But um yeah, I was struck by some of the themes that I, I I usually don't really hang out with themes until after. Yeah, and I'm thinking about a movie more. But this one, I was just like, whoa, this is the most dangerous. Like this ideology is the scariest to people in power. Yeah. Know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
So we just jump into hero. Yeah. And and really the only way to do this is and they say a hero can save us. I'm not just gonna stand here and wait. Uh so which of course which that song was just that was it in 2002. That that song was everywhere. That that it, song Spider-Man and Hero. Man. <laughs> What a time to be a hero. I remember listening to my CD player oh, to the Spider-Man yeah. soundtrack to that song. And I'm like, freaking, that's me, dude. Yeah, like, I'm a hero. Aerosmith did a cover of the, like, oh, cartoon. Oh, I told, I told Sarah that I was obsessed with that song. I told her that was my favorite song when I was little. And she's like, I have to hear it. And she played it. And to this day, if the word Spider-Man said, she just starts cackling at the thought of me being really into this song. <laughs> We need to be better about social post stuff on like this on stories. Uh, it's... <laughs> Here comes the Spider-Man. And it was such a time, too, because I feel like that was right around when... Radioactive blood. <laughs> when Die Another Day came out, and mm-hmm. like that Madonna song was such a big deal. That was peak film soundtrack. <laughs> or, or film, uh, yeah, like... like inspired by yeah yeah not score soundtrack so, so mitchell uh you had seen hero before i've ne- i had never seen this movie yeah i i don't know give how us, i saw it yeah give us your origin story on hero i i, I don't know how i was seeing the promotional material for it as probably what sixth grader uh, so it, no it was two, no no it, it was 2004 when it was oh, released right, in right. the u.s yeah yeah so i was probably like sixth grade um, when I was, but I remember seeing some promotional trailer or something for it, and it was the first battle in the rain mm-hmm. where they're like flying around. I didn't even understand, like, know about kung fu movies and that kind of, uh, you know, crouching t- tiger, hidden dragon technique of like wire fighting. Yeah. And I was like just floored by it. So I got mom to rent it for me, not knowing anything about it. And then it's this like really complicated for a sixth grader. Yes. Like slow burn, but also, you know, amazing uh, kung fu. And, and kind of, uh, and kind of more complicated narrative structure. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. In fact, I remember watching it and then, because I, I had it for what, like, rent, we rented it, so I would just go back and replay the fight scenes because mm-hmm. that's what I liked to watch. And I think I skipped around most of the story. Yeah. Because I didn't understand what was going on because it is complicated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, as a sixth grader, being like, I, I thought this was one thing. I'm still, like, interested in this, mm-hmm. but it's above my pay grade right now. Sure. Yeah. I, I yeah. remember. T- and I, to, to be honest, and this is probably problematic, but. I think it was uh, adjacent to the Jackie Chan movie, The Medallion, <laughs> which I did see and was way more up my alley at the time. Uh, well, again, to, the, what a to time. be fair, the cover, the cover art of like hero and sidekick girl, which the, the hero movie poster makes no sense. No sense. I, I had um, that moment after I watched the movie. I was watching. I was looking at the poster again. I'm like, why is Jet Li with the assassin servant girl? Like right, who's they, like terrible in the movie? Like she's the worst <laughs> fighter out of all of them, and she's on the cover acting like she's taking on an army, which yeah, he doesn't even do. No, yeah, it's like all right. The, the American graphic designer who made this did not watch this movie. No, no. But um, but the posters are similar too. 
like kind of that orangey yeah. Yeah. glow. Yeah. So that that was my only context for this and even the world of kung fu movies, you know. Oh, sure. Um my I so I never seen it, but I I remember this movie really vividly when the promotional stuff was really gearing up for the US theatrical release in like late 2004 because that was like right around right after like Kill Bill had come out. Mm-hmm. And um I think I had seen those cuz I would have been like a freshman. And and so like all in on Kill Bill and people were like, "Oh, there's a new Quentin Tarantino movie." And and like this was, I mean, I, like YouTube came out in two thousand four, so like maybe you know I like saw trailers and yeah, like I don't know how we were watching the trailers, but you know it was like this new Quentin Tarantino movie, and people were like, oh, you gotta check it out. It's and I, I looked it up, and it like this is not a Quentin Tarantino movie. This is a Mandarin language. His name's on it. His name is on it, and that was what it was. Is they used his name, and he let them do that because he was, you know, he uh, Quentin really in the 90s and early 2000s was a really big champion for specifically Asian cinema because he really pushed Chunking Express um, in the mid-90s, the Wong Kar Wai movie, um, Mm -hmm. as as like, hey, people got to check this out, people got to check this out. And and so so he really pushed Miramax to, because they had the rights for the theatrical release, so he really pushed them to give it a proper U.S. release. And it ended up right. being like number one in the box office for a couple of weeks, which is a huge deal. Wow. Yeah. Um, for, Amanda- for this type of movie yeah. at that time. Yeah. For a Mandarin language film. But like Quentin Tarantino Presents, that was on every commercial. And I was just like, this isn't a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I didn't understand like. Like, screw this. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> They're lying. Well, and, and he also, I know. And he also was really bent on making sure they released not an English dubbed version, but the original right. track. Um, it's crazy that that happens. I know. I, I, it's absolutely crazy. And so that was, that was my understanding. And then as, as I would hear about the movie over the last, you know, 15 years, I always knew it was really, uh, really highly regarded, but mm. never something I kind of was able to go back and check out. You know, it's funny, I, I, I hadn't heard anything about it. I just had this vague memory of this really yeah. awesome movie. Yeah. So that when you sent, and then I, I was like kind of remembering it uh, the past year or so. Yeah. I just, I don't know why I was thinking about it, but then you sent it to me, I was like, oh my God, it's that movie yeah. that I like watched way back when. And yeah, it's trippy re- revisiting that. <laughs> uh, but okay, before yeah. we get too into it, because I know the title is going to be a little clickbaity for people yeah why, why don't we jump why, why do we watch oh, yeah. hero and you know we talked yeah. about this a little bit on last week's episode but shang chi the new marvel movie came out shang chi and the legend of the ten rings um i've seen it mitchell you haven't uh, i'd still like to hear your thoughts on it yeah yeah, yeah yeah and, and uh, yeah and 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 i i liked shang chi a lot and i wanted it to be better than i thought it ultimately was for me um you know we we kind of talk about this on the podcast a lot how generous i am with like my ratings and 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 yes you are and my feelings about movies and i really like going and seeing a movie like shang chi and actually it not kind of clicking with me and and Mm. and thinking that this isn't really working for me because that is a reminder that I do have some sort of critical edge. <laughs> and right. I'm not just like, oh, another Marvel movie, four and a half stars. <laughs> dude, dude, this is pretty cool. <laughs> um, 
And but what is unique about Shang Chi? It's the first um, first Asian Marvel superhero, first Asian superhero really movie. Um, but this is kind of it's it's now kind of in the line of the last three standalone intro movies for Marvel superheroes have been Shang Chi, uh, Captain Marvel, who is the first female. Um, uh, superhero and then or super like, first female like lead in a movie right for the Marvel MCU stuff and then uh, the year before that was Black Panther so uh, and that was obviously the first African um, African yeah, Black Widow and, and Black Widow's in the mix but I don't know like how they count that because she was already she it's it a wasn't weird tangent but she had been in you know twelve of the movies so it wasn't an introduction movie um, right for right, her right. and so and so you've kind of you have. You know, the first black superhero, first major female lead, and now the first Asian um, lead in a film. Mm-hmm. And and what I liked, uh, what I really liked about Shang-Chi was the way that it draws on martial arts filmmaking. That kind of, right. uh, uh, the, the fights in it, the wire work stuff. There's a fight early in the movie where Shang-Chi's dad meets... Uh, the woman who is his mom for the first time it's like a flashback sequence his dad is like a thousand year old like ten rings lord Um, and they meet in like this bamboo forest grove and like the wind is you know whipping the the leaves around in these like little mini cyclones and I mean it is it looks like it's it's staged and filmed and the stunts look like hero it looks like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It is right. exactly that style, and not only that, but it's it's Tony Tony Leung who is in Hero. He is um, Broken Sword, Broken Sword, uh, the assassin, and Michelle Michelle Yeoh, who is um, who, who had done a ton of this stuff in her own right. Uh, right, and so here they are now in this big American Marvel movie. So crazy. It doing what they've been doing for decades in Hong Kong, <laughs> right. and it's awesome, and it looks amazing, and I'm just I'm this stuff is just I'm I'm totally responding, um, because it was it felt so fresh to for a Marvel movie, right? Um, Interesting. There's a there's a sequence there's this fight sequence on a bus in San Francisco, and it's kind of the first time you see Shang Chi himself like. Oh, this guy's—he—he—he's been trained, you know. And I mean, it is just this incredible, tense, intimate hand-to-hand, like very much that kind of kung fu style. A little bit different because it's not—it's not the 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 wire work martial arts stuff, but it's more like the the kind of classic, you know, um, Bruce Lee or the Jackie Chan stuff, right. you know. So it's drawing even on different um, heritages within kind of this broader umbrella of martial arts movies and and that scene is one of the top five like fight sequences in a in any marvel movie so it's it's got all this great stuff working for it um and so i'm like i love it but i i love so much of this and it's really working for me and then the end the you know the second third the last third second half of the movie is like in the magical village 
that may or may not be in another dimension where his mother it's in space jam yeah yeah where his mother is from with her like special magic but she's long dead and so they go there because his dad is trying to release the soul-sucking demon dragon from like a mountain and come on dad <laughs> and and i'm just like what are, what are we doing what why why did this amazing like martial arts superhero movie devolve into yet another CGI two CGI dragons are fighting over a lake and while while like an army of like characters we don't know or care really about are fighting each other for like not really clear reasons and and you know it's like in Black Panther um you know the, the the Wakandan army gets out there on this field of battle, and and I like the battle sequence in Wakanda, and I think the the stuff in Wakanda works better, but it's you know, and and they all have their like there's vibranium because that's their special you know, you know special uh, <laughs> thing element whatever that they have there, and oh, then they've got man. their like force field shields or whatever, and all their super technology. Well, oh. they don't have vibranium in the magic forest village in Shang Chi. It's dragon scale, and so it's, it's dragonanium. <laughs> <laughs> so it's dragon scale arrows and blind. Oh my! I'm like, but it's the same thing, you know. It's like they got that's. <laughs> you're you're nailing it. Yes. <laughs> like this is, and you know I I hey fair enough. I haven't seen them, but my um in, my interpretation and what I hear of most Marvel movies is this: everyone is the highest stakes possible, and everyone just follows these same beats of gathering the rings on his arms or on the hand. Uh, or, you know, you got to gather the supercharged items to fight off the greatest evil, and there's inevitably a CGI, you know, two towers, or Return of the King-style war in, in all these. Yeah. And they can't, you can't have every movie be the highest stakes possible. But the reason like, that Return of the King works so well is because we've got nine hours building to it. Right, <laughs> right. And probably why Endgame I'm assuming... Right, yeah. that Endgame, from what I hear, is, like, a really good movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. And, like, and is impressive what they've built over the years. But, man, I can't, I can't do it. I know. I can't watch these movies. I know. I just, and, and, and that, that sense of, like, I'm a bit of a completionist with stuff. And so, I, the, the anxiety I know. at the thought of trying to understand or not, not understand, but like I, I want to know the full story. Yeah, and when there's 50 movies to I do know. that, I know all that are like, and a lot of them are like C plus movies. Yeah, it's like, and, dude, I can't do this. And I don't know. Maybe I'm being like a little more critical on against Shang Shang Chi. I, I, I wonder how I would feel about it if this movie had come out six or seven years ago. <laughs> Well, of course, it's like you, you've been so inundated with this, yeah. with with these tropes over and over. Yeah, but it and was just it, like ah, here, we, okay, okay. I mean, it's like the end of the first Avengers movie when there's a portal up in the sky and alien demon dragons are like flying out of it, and the Avengers are like shooting them out of the sky, and I'm like, oh, that's what's happening here. Except they look more like dragons than aliens. 
Like, and it's not a portal right. from space. It's a portal on the side of a mountain. Like, I haven't seen Space Jam either, but it's like, oh, it's a digital algorithm that we're fighting. It's yeah. like, it's so removed from... I know. You can pick it up and feel it. Yeah. Like, I, maybe this is happening because I don't watch them. I don't know. But, like, I, I think it would be so cool. Like, I remember Justice League cartoons. Like, episodes would be, like, like the, it wouldn't, it wasn't always the end of the world. Yeah. It, it was like, or, or even, you, you know, just one-off comic book stories of like, yeah. here's this one encounter with this one villain messing with this one guy. Yeah. You know, it's like, what if they made superhero movies that were like I know. really small stories, but, I know. you know, in this world? Uh, I wonder if that would like bring, ground it a little and make it feel a little bit more intimate. See, it's interesting because I think in some ways like the the Marvel TV shows this year that were on Disney Plus and we've gotten three of them just this year. Oh, I don't like, want to watch a TV show. WandaVision in some ways works like that, but then WandaVision, which is like every episode is like a different take on a historical genre of sitcom or era of sitcom, still ends with like two witches flying through the air and fighting with each other over a demolished town. And, and it has to connect to like every And, and that's piece of... the other thing because the Captain, it's the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Um, felt much smaller stakes there is no like this is the end of the world like they're basically two soldiers they're trying to stop a terrorist cell and Mm -hmm. and that like kind of feels organic to even like the world that they would be in as being soldiers but that show only exists to get us from here to now we have a new captain america like you can see why this show exists it's not to because they had a story that they wanted to tell it was because we're setting up captain america 4 and now falcon is the new Captain. right that that's what makes these movies feel more like machines to me yeah than movies is because in a lot of ways in my head they feel like they are just in service for the next movie aka the next dollar yeah for for you know these production companies or whatever yeah it's like I, you know, I, I'm not a big comic book reader, but I read the the laugh, killing, killing joke. Yes. And it's like kind of just a short origin story for the Joker and kind of like an ambiguous ending for mm-hmm. Batman and the Joker. It's like, man, what if they did a movie on this little story? I know. And just forgot about connecting it to anything or like, oh, okay, now I see we're opening it up at the end for the sequel, the killing joke too. You know, it's well, like, I, I feel like, or maybe, you know, people have recommended the movie Logan to me. I don't know if Logan has that feel, but it felt that like from like trailers, it felt like a kind of a smaller. You know, story. I like Logan, but, yeah, I don't but know. to be I'm honest, I'm guessing at this point, I, I haven't seen, I've only seen like one other X-Men movie. So mm. I like, I don't understand the weight, the, all the emotional weight stuff that Logan has. And, and yeah. so, again, it's that same problem where even like a movie like Logan that people said, this one is so good and stands on its own. And I watch it. And I'm like, sure, I like Hugh Jackman, but it just I I guess it would probably hit me more if I'd seen the other movies. And I just don't care. Um, they're, they're starting to feel like um, rom-coms in the late 2000s. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're, I feel like they're going to start dying off soon. The people don't have the capacity to just keep watching these. Or maybe they do, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. See, I'm really curious of what the next two, three years of this stuff is going to look like because of the direction that specifically the Marvel movies are headed because it's all about the multiverse now. 
where you know, the, I don't know what that means. I mean, basically, the Loki. Oh, like different timelines. Or different something? timelines. It's different timelines, and like <laughs> the, the you know, obviously the the all but confirmed rumors of the new Spider-Man movie is that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be playing their Peter Parkers Dude. in this, and Doctor Octopus I, is back. Like, I wish R- reminisce reminiscence. Yeah, was a better movie because our obsession with nostalgia is I dangerous. I know. I know. I to- I totally agree, but I I'm curious about it because I I wonder what what people's capacity for having the patience to think about like multiverse timeline plots will be. Right. Because well, let me ask you this: Did you see that Spider-Man trailer? Yeah. Did what was your reaction to Doc Ock and like you know? Like oh, okay, we're to, gonna to be bring total, all the stuff back. To, to be totally honest, when when Doctor Octopus turns around and he says hello, Peter, I thought, I know that's Alfred Molina, but he doesn't look like him. <laughs> and, <laughs> that was the extent of your like, but like everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's back, and I'm like, it, like it. I know it's Alfred Molina because I know he's in this movie. It, uh, I, it, I just think it doesn't look like him. You know, they just reached out to the actor and was like, I, I "Do you want to do this again?" And he was like, "Eh, why not?" <laughs> yeah, it's not going to make so much money. <laughs> People are acting like it's really Doctor Octopus. <laughs> They're like, "Oh my god, Doctor Octopus showed up!" Sorry, I need to check my annoyance with this world because you know if you love this oh my that's gosh, awesome they got dr octopus to come back <laughs> i'm like they got they asked it's the like, actor he said yes it's they like, paid him a lot of money like <laughs> they own the character and they have a trillion dollars like <laughs> what's the shock here Doug? Like, no him he's back they did it they really did it <laughs> I'm so, I I don't understand. And then I was looking at the Shang Chi poster. I'm like, this is giving me really big Power Rangers vibes. Oh yeah, like the 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 text treatment. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's what this is, man. <laughs> like, I know. the next episode of Power Rangers is out, and I'm, and we're just losing our minds. And like, you know, I I need to let people like what they like, but I guess it just I feel very. Outside of the movie conversation, sometimes when when the when he's like I watched Black Widow this summer and I liked Black Widow, so sure this is it's not that I don't like them anymore or that they don't work anymore because that movie I liked, but mm-hmm. I, I so I saw Shang Chi with my youth group and there were like forty five of us and I was sitting next to a, a kid who's super into comics and spent a lot of the movie explaining to me why the movie was making mistakes because it was differing from the comics. And at one point, you know, they get to the secret village where his mom is from, but now she's, you know, she's long dead and they, they meet, you know, their, his, his aunt who he's never met before his mom's sister. And she's like, Oh, I have something for you that your mother left. And I turned to this, this ninth grade boy. I said, it's a super suit. And he's like, no, it's not a super suit. Third, not, not 30 seconds later, he was opening up his super suit. Like that is how well you can clock the beats of these movies right? A- as they go on. And it's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, they're gearing up for the big battle. He's going to need a super suit. They, they call it a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most powerful weapon. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, it's like, again, again. <laughs> yeah, the, 
the end of Shang-Chi really fell apart for me and didn't kind of uh, live up to what it was doing in the beginning. But I will say it really prompted me to want to watch some of these other movies. So that was part of the impetus for watching Hero. Oh, you mean like Kung Fu movies? Yeah, the martial arts kind of stuff. I yeah. was like, boy, this is really good, and this is just kind of whetting my appetite for this. It, yeah, isn't it a... Um, it, you kind of just... It's like discovering a new band that has like yeah. 10 albums, and you're like, what? Yeah. I gotta jump into this world now? Yes. That that was kind of how I felt. And a little overwhelming, and, and some of them are harder to access and that kind of thing, but I just thought, oh, I, like, I could just go... I can go watch any number of... Hong Kong martial arts movies, and I'm going to be delighted. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's exactly what happened with the movie we were really talking about this week. Yeah. Um. So, so we watched Hero. Um. I never seen it before, and um. And I had I knew nothing about it going into it. So uh, fun. Like, because it's so good. <laughs> I I knew Tony Leung is in it. I love Tony Le- Tony Leung. He's in. So he's in Shang-Chi, but he's also in a lot of Wong Kar-Wai stuff. I think I said this on the last episode. but Who is in, he in Shang-Chi? Is he the he, villain? He's the villain. He's he's the dad okay. and, and, nice. and the villain. Um, yeah, he's and, a baller. And he he is just absolutely amazing. And it has Jet Li in it. Um, and Jet Li is like a familiar name uh, right. to us Americans. Um, and yeah, I, I knew nothing about it other than it it's called hero in the English translation. I don't even know what the original Chinese title is called. You know, maybe it's different. I don't know. Um, you know, those things get changed in translation. Um, right. and well, the, the title card that comes on has the little English hero next to the Chinese character. So, Oh yeah. I'm, okay. I'm like, you know, calligraphy is kind of important in this movie. I hope yeah. they don't get, screw that up. I, yes. Um, and and then I knew the Quentin Tarantino kind of um, connection that that uh, right. that he was really, which like, man watching this and thinking about his movies, you're like, yep, yeah, <laughs> Ma- major yeah. influence. Yeah, I mean, you can see it's 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 interesting because you could you could go in any direction. You could look at Hero and you could say, oh, okay, I I could see. I could see elements of this in early work of his, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. narrative structure, like that kind of thing. I can draw a line from Hero to the way he tells the narrative in The Hateful Eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of constant replaying and reversal yeah. of the action. And and not that he is intentionally thinking about Hero as he's writing Hateful Eight, because that's... Right, Because right. He, even Hero is its own interpretation of like the Rashomon narrative structure but right but you can just see uh, what you can understand watching here why Tarantino loves this movie right because it feels like in a lot 100%. of ways the distilled version of a lot of the influences and things that he really loves and then obviously Kill Bill and and yes the Kill Bill yeah. like there there are there scenes of people like getting Oh no! This is this was in Shang Chi. I was like, yeah, I just saw this image. Shang Chi had people in like wooded courtyards and mm-hmm. like light snow and like moving the snow around with their feet as they're right. gonna fight like a bunch of assassins. Right. And I was like, why am I not watching Kill Bill right now? Like that was my that was what I was thinking as I'm watching Shang Chi. And right. 
and, and then you're watching hero and you're like why am i not watching this genre exclusively yeah because like, this is awesome the thing that strikes me most about this movie is just how gosh darn beautiful it is yes <laughs> like it is relentless yeah it, uh, I, I was thinking about this because we're going to do our segments later our favorite shot of the film and i'm like i don't know you could print out you could I was gonna say we might for the for the social this week we might have to pull a Terrence Malick just post yeah. every day something because it's unreal. You could print out every frame of this movie and throw a dart at at it, and you're gonna land on one of my favorite shots. Like right, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it it is an astonishingly beautiful movie, and 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 what I was so impressed by watching Hero, I, I kind of I'll say I was impressed on three fronts. First. Uh, not surprisingly, the action is really good. the the stage mm. the staging the choreography of the fire of the the, the fights the wirework stuff all of that. And they're is really also incredible. different too. They're so unique. Uh, you can think yeah. specifically the fight on the lake. The the, oh. the, the 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 fight in the. They almost never even like clash. No, I they're know. Just like evading. The fight in the rain, the fight um, between the two women in the the like autumn leaves grove. Oh my god, that's um, playing right now. Uh, and the use I, of color. And I, oh my god. So I'm I love the action, the staging, the choreography, but I was really impressed on these these two other fronts because 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 I do think sometimes we have this false impression when it comes to genre stuff that mm-hmm. it's like okay, I'm watching. I'm watching a martial arts movie, so mm-hmm. I'm here for the martial arts. Right, right, which I thought as a sixth grader. Yeah, and and I think it's okay to come for the martial arts, but with Hero, you stay for the beauty of it and for the, mm-hmm. the uh, really nuanced themes and plots, right? The beauty, Trojan Horse is the, the, yeah. the crux of the movie. Yes. You know, and even I thought was interesting, the like, especially in contrast to like a Quentin Tarantino or a more Americanized version mm-hmm. of a martial arts movie and a, and a samurai movie too is there's like no blood no in this whole movie basically or very very little compared yeah. to the buckets that Quentin you know yeah. <laughs> or, or or like you know really any American movie that has yeah. any bit of violence you know and it's like yeah, I'm not here for that, you know. Yeah, there's and an elegance you don't miss to it. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an elegance to it, and, and there's a a really like a sense of honor for like swordplay and kind of uh, like martial arts in general. But yeah. um, but even like connecting swordplay to calligraphy and like mm-hmm. kind of the, it's it's yeah. always in service to me of the themes, not just martial arts because martial arts yeah and i think like i like quentin tarantino movies i you know of course and and what he does often is i'm gonna take the martial arts thing and i'm gonna i'm gonna like take like pulpy b movie violence and smash them together and see what we get and it's like oh this is great um but they're often, to be honest, with that kind of genre busting stuff he does, there's not a lot of depth to it. It's yeah, super fun filmmaking, right? Fun depth and and but you know, I, I think part of it is that for for me, I'll speak for myself. Like it's so different what Quentin's doing, right? Yeah. At first, yeah. 
and then be, he's he is the Drake of movie making, yeah. where it's like that's most people's context for these type of movies. Yeah. So the, now he's like the the norm. Yeah. So what he's doing oh, is isn't like, point. yeah, isn't like oh my god, like so different. Yeah. And so now when I'm watching Hero, I mean, 2002, I, and viewing it almost as like I like in my head, it's a response to a lot of the violence and and over the top nature of these types of movies yes. that I'm that I'm used to as my normal. Yes. And it's like, oh, there's a quietness and yeah. a, you know, like you said, an elegance and a subverting expectation. But yeah. this was made twenty years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But so, it's just based off what I'm used to in, in my movies. You which know? is a, a broader conversation which we don't need to have today, but one of the things that I love about art in general, but specifically kind of movies, because yeah, this 20-year-old movie speaks to us differently mm-hmm. because of everything that we've seen before and are bringing yep. to the table. And that includes, After we've been in, in, inundated for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, and that includes the 20 years' worth of new movies that have come after this are informing the way we watch this today. Right. And, and like, that's okay. That's the way it works. Yeah, uh, it's so funny how the cyclical nature, because... Much like the hero choosing nonviolence is like radical. Mm-hmm. It's like a movie that has restraint. It feels radical, right? Yeah, now. yeah. You know, versus like shock value of violence was radical. You know, twenty years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um. So, I I mean I didn't say, but I was impressed by the the martial arts stuff, and then the, the other two things were just the incredible beauty of the filmmaking and then the plot itself. Um, the plot is so good. I, and I had no idea. I did not know that this was like a Rashomon. Have you ever seen Rashomon, Mitchell? No. But I, I, when reading about this movie, I heard that term, but I don't know what it means. Oh, you don't even know what the term is? No. Oh, okay, so so Rashomon is, or Rashomon was an Akira Kurosawa film from 1950 and kind of an early example of really classic um uh, Japanese filmmaking and right. Kurosawa kind of tells this story of it's like there's there's a, a, a um a bandit in the forest and uh, a guy gets killed and a woman gets raped kind of a thing and um uh, then they're brought into this kind of informal or formal court setting Mm, and to tell the story to tell the story and each the 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 bandit the woman and then like a monk tells tells their perspective and a woodcutter tells his perspective so everyone's telling their figure out what's yes and then but what he does what kurosawa does in the narrative structure is okay so now it's this person's turn to tell the story and then you are watching Mm. that version of the story play out and so the halloween episode of community i don't remember it's like they're all telling scary stories. They're like, no, 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 this is, and it's like all of yes. them still in the same cabin. And yes, you know. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and and like Rashomon came out 70, 71 years ago. So, right, th- this became of you know it's been riffed on in a lot of different ways, um, but it is, it, it it was I mean it was revolutionary at the time, and right. and then Hero takes that and I think does something interesting with it. And the idea here is that. Uh, the the nameless hero, the Jet Li character, shows up at the the emperor's palace, mm-hmm. and claiming to have uh, killed these three notorious assassins who have been trying to kill the emperor for for a decade. Right. And 
you know, because of this, the emperor won't let anyone come within a hundred paces of him. Like that's how kind of paranoid he has become about his own safety. In his uh, like throne room. In his in his giant palace throne room, they've removed any ornaments in the room. Just for, you know, to, there's no hiding places, nothing. Um, and because, but because Jet Li's character has killed these three assassins, he is allowed within ten paces of the emperor, and he gets this reward. And the emperor wants to know, how did you do this? And because so, those assassins killed like his old, like got through oh, his yeah. whole army to yes. get to him. I mean, they're like, you know, superhero assassins, right? And so he wants to, how could you, you, this nobody, how could you have done this? So Nameless gives him this kind of accounting of the story. and Which it sets you up after the first story yes. of him defeating the first assassin. You're like, oh, he's just going to tell yeah. how he, and then they're just going to, he's going to tell a story. Then we're going to see the fight, then tell a story, see the fight. Yes. You know, whatever. It, it, that felt just very traditional storytelling. Like, oh, well, let me tell you about it. And then we see that, we see that right. play out. And, and then the kind of twist is that he's actually figured out how to play the, the, uh, uh, fallen snow, flying snow, and broken sword against each other because they're two of the they're, assassins. They're two assassins who were lovers, and he's kind of, you know, found this crack and gotten them to 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 be played against each other, and that's how he's you know outwitted them and and all of this, and 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 you kind of take it as face value, um, especially because they show it. Because like, they show, show it, like, and and that's the Rashomon thing is like you see it you see this play out and that's what is is so unique i don't know that you could do this in another medium of storytelling because the the point of it is that you can't trust what you're watching right or or even the um like color coding of the segments of that first one exactly where there's lots of lust and murder and passion, it's like everything's bathed in red. Everything is red, yes. So then when he switches, when the king kind of like pushes back on him and says, I I know these assassins and this doesn't add up, and the king starts to get suspicious. Yeah, and And then so they back up and he's trying to like elaborate on what's Mm -hmm. going on, and all of a sudden we're in blue. Everything is blue. Yeah, you're like, uh, okay, who am I trusting here? Yes, and like, and you get this in novels with like unreliable narrators and that kind of thing. But this is a particularly unique thing where you're going to see different versions of the same events play out over and over again. Right. Right. Or the same characters behaving really differently. Oh, or yeah, like totally different events. Yeah. You're, you're like, oh no, this isn't how it played out at all, and and so you're kind of constantly. Okay, what's real? What? How did this actually go down? Yeah, and it's and and because at first your your mind is like, wait, get back to the normal storytelling here. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it was so easy at first with that first assassin. You know? Yeah, and then you just let it seep in a bit, and it's it's, it's very really disruptive. Hip- it's disruptive and hypnotic because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, I'll go back into this color, come back out, like, oh, we're going into green now. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'll, so so uh, this is during the first telling of the story. So in the red events, this yeah. is like nameless is like this is I've killed the I've, I've defeated them. And this is my you know initial version of the events um, in that retelling um, broken sword, uh, you know, basically is tricked into thinking that his lover has cheated on him. And so he goes and he takes his servant girl. 
and his apprentice his apprentice servant yeah. sl- sleeps with her uh flying snow is jealous and kills uh broken sword kills her right. kills her former lover and then the two women fight in right. this uh brilliant orange grove of trees right to kind of continue that Um, like autumn yes autumn turned up to 11 and and i was sitting there like thinking this fight is amazing it's so beautiful but i had a huge problem with it and that was all of this is supposed to have been supposed to be taking place while their city is being is literally under siege by the emperor's army and i'm like where did these ladies find this beautiful grove to go have a fight in and right. why are there not a million arrows raining down on them because that's what just happened in the scene before right and and i'm like i'm really questioning this like or my thought is my thought was man i thought broken sword was supposed to be like a legit assassin he gets he gets yes. outed that easy like yes. all right so it's not legit. and so and and then what it turns out is like none of it's all it's all a fiction yeah none of it's real so it doesn't matter where where they're filming it and that's why it's like trick of the filmmaking where the director can say i'm i'm just going to make this as pretty as i want it i'm going to make it visually exactly what i want with no Mm -hmm. regard for continuity of setting or place or anything right because it doesn't matter because because it's all made up anyway it's all a made-up story and what a great conceit to let him get away with whatever he wants Right. You're like, all right, fine. It was made up. He can be in an autumn grove now. It doesn't match the season. When we get to the, I think it's the green um, version of events, the third of four, um, that's uh, flying snow has died and her body is like laying in rest on like this lake. A lake made of glass. Yeah. And nameless and broken sword like have this like two you know honor fight like they're not really they don't they're not enemies but because of honor or whatever they have to fight and it's this amazing wire. I love sequence. that because you know honor whatever. Yeah, uh. <laughs> it's this amazing wire work sequence over the lake. And again, I you know they're just like writing the movie and thinking, let's do a sequence over a lake. How do we get how do we get them to a lake? Right. <laughs> I know what we'll pristine, do. Re- like. Like, because it does look like glass until they just tap it with their sword and yes. then it ripples for like a second. Yeah. You're like, man, this is the most serene battle I've ever witnessed <laughs> on screen. And I just, I love the way that the storytelling is, the, the narrative structure is used so cleverly as a mm-hmm. delivery system for the most beautiful martial arts sequences I've ever seen. Right, right. And, and for me, the kind of the ideas of the film at the end yes the say more about that i guess what i mean by that is in the same way that broken sword has to allow snow to kill him by refusing to block her you know enraged uh she didn't want to kill him but they're fighting and he he allows it and he purposely doesn't block what would seem like an easy thing to block yeah and she's horrified. Like, why didn't you oh, block yeah. me? And he's like, so that you would finally believe the story I'm trying to tell. Yeah. Because we come to find out that Broken Sword had the opportunity mm. to murder this king. He didn't. And then he also told Nameless, like, stop your quest. Don't do not murder this man. Do not assassinate mm-hmm. him. And she she can't understand this because this king has wronged them. 
and so much in the way that he has to like like let go drop his sword and sacrifice himself to like really get this message through it's like the the film kind of slowly pulls back on the martial arts Mm-hmm. And like like the first scene in the rain is probably the longest mm-hmm. I think uh, in terms of just straight up fighting mm-hmm. and the most aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, and then just like kind of slowly tapers off, and like seeing Broken Sword do that, and seeing what other iterations or timelines could have happened based off the storytelling, and and, and you, I I because I've only seen it the one time. That, yeah. uh, but I do remember the scene you're talking about. That is in like the real sequence of events, right? Right. That's right. in the. They've entered the white phase. The white phase, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, kind of seeing what's possible in the other timelines and then seeing the outcome of what mm-hmm. really happens when he sacrifices himself. It, it, you, you start actually hanging out with the idea of, you know, maybe the most powerful, you know, quote unquote warrior with a sword mm-hmm. is one who has like separated himself from the violence mm-hmm. you know it's it's this amazing thing where the 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 film starts with the claim that nameless has murdered these three people right and then that first sequence is this like you said it, a passions are charged up behind you know a million percent it's that red it's like the bloodlust kind of a thing mm-hmm. all of this fighting and the, bashing the arrows away all, all like, the arrow stuff yeah and and even like nameless's claim is like i have i have through deception and cunning and skill defeated these people and right. and then as studied you the sword all my life study and you know, studies his calligraphy and then you know as you go on what is uncovered over and over again is one no, none of this has happened right. and and that there there's not you know magic sword moves to pass the, avoid all vital organs and leave you, you right know, it's it's just people choosing not to hurt each other right or people choosing to let the other person kill them right in, in the in the in the case of broken sword there yeah and i feel like if obviously if the movie just ramped up each sequence more and more to like usually movies do like uh I, I don't want to call this a superhero movie, but I you know martial it's, arts it is superhero movies, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's just a medium hero. It's not crazy <laughs> or anything, but like these movies typically have these rhythms of like mini battle at the beginning, maybe or many like bouts of yeah. finding the powers, medium size, and then like the crazy battle at the end. Yeah, and this one's just the inverse. Yeah, where it's but but if it was just that ramping up of crazy violence, then I'm not buying the 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 idea at the end. Of- uh, it's, a, it's amazing to me when they're back in the palace and all of like the emperor's like army and his like counselors of elders are like crowded around the palace windows and doors looking to see what's going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and then there isn't a fight, but right. I, but I was so wrapped up in the moment. Like I was like, this is so like such tense, suspenseful storytelling Mm-hmm. And they did not fight at all, right? But it was and so for, for like a second. You think he did murder him? Yes. And you're like, no, that <laughs> I know that blows it. And you're like, oh, thank God he didn't. Yeah. But but even the king. So uh, Broken Sword is a student of calligraphy, 
and you know like the, they're connecting the the um discipline of that with swordplay mm-hmm. and kind of him using that as a way to kind of towards enlightenment with mm-hmm. the sword and the king's reading the work he's made and he's like oh so if like an amazing warrior is yeah. uh, like one with the sword and he's dangerous like like they are one and uh m- most yeah. lethal man whatever with a sword and then past that the most dangerous man is who he, he's lethal even without the sword just yeah. hit himself and then past that the most like enlightened arrived person it's like the dissolving of that violence to where it's i forget what specifically he says but it's a great quick summation right before he's not assassinated yeah you know it's it is amazing to me how last week we watched uh raging bull this martin scorsese movie from 1980 and this week we watched hero Mm -hmm. a mandarin Chinese film from 2002 that takes place 2000 years ago. Right. And but the themes are the same. <laughs> self-sacrifice. It, it's it's the it's the self-sacrifice. It's the the how do you achieve, you know, atonement, uh, enlightenment? Right. How do you, you know, how do you become as a means towards anti-violence? <laughs> yeah. Peace yes. amongst human beings. Yes. Yeah. And 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 even you know the 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 idea that he, that nameless becomes this terrifying presence at the end of the film because right. of his nonviolence right it i mean that is like that, that he could but doesn't uh, that's the jesus story that right. that is the the temptation we talked about this with there will be blood the temptations of christ and and then saw a little bit talked about a little bit last week with raging bull but it's the temptations of christ to take himself off the cross or to to you know uh, place himself in this position above all all of the the kingdoms of the world right and he could he has the power to do that and never chooses that and instead always chooses the the most humble the most self-sacrificing thing he could do Right. I um I don't remember where I heard this, but and I don't remember if it's Plato or I think it's Plato, maybe Socrates. Um one of the spa from history class. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Okay. <laughs> Cla- classic. Um but one of those one of them that was murdered for his ideas. Mm-hmm. Um and basically the rulers of the time were like you need to leave town. You need to leave the city because on this day we're going to murder you. Yeah. But we, we like you, you know. Yeah. But we're going to do this. So yeah. here's your chance. Go. And this guy was famous for never uh, disobeying the voice inside his head or in mm-hmm. his gut of mm-hmm. like, say this or do this. And yeah. it's like the voice is telling me that's the wrong move to flee. So I'm going to go die for this, you know. Yeah. And it's... uh. I don't know why I was thinking. I mean, obviously, it's why I'm thinking about that story is kind of that self-sacrifice. But yeah. just that I that nuance in the context of extreme violence is like that's why I wanted to. Thought, that's why I was excited to have this movie specifically in conversation with a movie like Shang Chi, but really on a bigger scale, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, like at different times, those movies try to approach different like 
different angles of kind of some of this stuff like I'll, and you've seen some of the Iron Man movies like a part of the Iron Man stuff is that Tony Stark and Stark Industries like they made weapons of war and right. and then and and then the guilt that that Tony feel like the guilt that Tony Stark feels is so much of the driving force of him through 22 movies or whatever you know he's not right. in all of them but that's the trajectory of the Iron Man character from Iron Man 1 to Endgame is so much about the guilt that he feels about the violence. So right. like that's that's definitely there, but right. that will always be pushed to the side in service of big violent action sequence right. and and servicing the you know the superhero stuff. Oh, and the next movie. And the next movie. Um, but even, I mean, yeah, it's not fair for me to say that it's the, that idea or some deeper themes aren't at play. I think I, they're, they're just always less chewy for me. So, I, but I love the, I love the way that hero deals with these themes in much more nuanced ways. And, and that's the purpose of the movie. Right. I, I think that that's what I like about it is, is they're setting out to make a movie that is about these things and the martial arts the beautiful cinematography, the interesting narrative structure, they are they all work together to be a delivery system to, hey, think about sacrifice. Hey, think about nonviolence. Hey, think about these things. Right. And and what that means for our humanity. Yeah. It's 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 such a poetic structure mm-hmm. that kind of loops like when I, I picture a poem and I picture the little pericopes or paragraphs mm-hmm. and how kind of looping and self-referential they are mm-hmm. and like how this movie just builds on itself but like it builds on it in in its fiction and in the like reality timeline yeah if we're talking about multiverses no isn't that interesting that even though uh, so much of what we see is a complete fiction what mm-hmm. we what we see so informs the, the reality the possibility of what we've seen informs the reality of what is true yes, exactly in in very meaningful significant ways yeah and i think part of what we like to do on the cast is to do some curation for movies we think deserve attention and so you know me is not a marvel watcher um but kind of wanted to be in conversation it was like man what what's something we could watch that we could point people towards for you know, if you enjoyed some of the ideas in, in Shang-Chi or like even like want to get more into martial arts movies and more traditional ones, man, something hero is there, there's a depth to it. Yeah. That is rewarding. And it's also just one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah. So just giving some more context of obviously why we're talking about these two in conversation with each other. Yeah. Loved, I loved hero. It was great. Segments. Segments. What are you sipping on tonight, Mitchell? I got nothing. I had water, now it's gone. What do you I, got? Uh, I've got a little bit of coffee left. It was hot when we started, but it's not anymore. From a mug with your name on it. Yep, from a mug from my childhood with my name on it. Burned in my brain. Yeah. This is, excuse me, a damn fine couple segments. All right. I know we got a lot of them, but do you have a couple favorite shots? I've got two. Um, I one two. I already talked about. I have but. two. So uh, go ahead go ahead with your first one. First one was him coming down the steps after not assassinating the king. Yeah. And I love the that. kind of 
pulled back shot of the spears like forming a circle around him with all the red feathered caps yeah and just it was actually really hitting me in the moment watching of like man the the amount of fear they have for the guy that just yeah. chose nonviolence is it's amazing yeah it's amazing especially yeah. in contrast with the beginning where there's no fear yeah. but they think he's murdered the most dangerous assassins in the world yeah and they're just like yeah come on in yeah um, so that, and then my second favorite was, uh, or not my second, but another one that I was just like, ah, oh, this is unreal is when broken sword is murdered and him and, uh, mm. snow are in the white robes yeah. and they're just like crying, but it's yeah. a pulled out shot and there's like, uh, you know, tan canyons surrounding yeah. them and, and the winds just in their robes and he's kind of bobbing cause he's, you know, dying with a sword sticking yeah. out of his stomach. And she's just crying out, but it's a pulled out shot. Yeah. And they're kind of there on the horizon along with these canyons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a ton. I love the two shots you just mentioned, but I'll just say two. The first is it's right when Nameless begins to tell the first story of of his. And he it's it's this uh, I found out like the story starts. Oh, I found out that they were in this small village. And so I went to basically infiltrate it. And the shot is a nameless, now dressed in red. So far, yeah. everything's been pretty black. Now dressed in these these this red clothing. And the it's reddest this, red. Yeah. Oh, like crimson, right? And uh, then it's this kind of wide shot. And, and the setting has totally changed. And it's basically him on foot, these huge mountains in the background, and some of that tan high desert landscape uh, around him as he's approaching the village and i love it because it's beautiful but it's also the first hint of that color coding stuff extreme use of color yes and and it really just pops uh, immediately and and it is also emblematic of the the really the way he uses the landscapes in this kind of otherworldly way throughout in really interesting ways because again uh he doesn't care about continuity of the landscapes because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter right um in, 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 in that a, way it's always in service of like the color imagery it, or yes. symbolism it, you know? in that way it feels um very legendary and mm-hmm. and and actually similar to i think what a lot of the uh landscape work in the green knight does where mm. um that's more in service to the themes than any sort of sense of oh we got to tell a story that's true to life yeah do you have another favorite shot yeah my other favorite shot is from the sequence on the um uh the lake when nameless and broken sword are fighting on the lake and it's kind of this again a wide shot um in the in the foreground is like the cherry blossom leaves or whatever it is Mm. and then you know in taking out most of the frame but in the in you know the far far ground is nameless and broken sword like kind of hovering over the lake oh yeah and i love it because it's like this is a painting right it's just so beautiful and so simple and pristine um and but you know you could say that you know half the shots in the movie could be paintings in and of themselves so it, it's right. not crazy and you would never guess from that shot on its own that they're yeah, in a battle yeah, yeah what you just sent me that's the shot um the, i mean even the style it, it it almost is meant to look like this kind of old style landscape you know painting mm-hmm. um 
Um, it's just, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Letterbox. Yeah. I gave it four. four and a half stars. As did I. We need to get more Siskel t- and Ebert t- on here and t- like t- <laughs> be di- in disagreement. Uh, do you have a reason you dropped the half star? Um, I don't. It just wasn't quite there for me. Yeah. Uh, but it's so much better than most stuff, you know? Mine, there's like a weird, almost like self-contradiction to this. That 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 last half star to me, I think the the narrative structure just takes a little bit of the dramatic edge out of the movie because you get to this point where you're like, oh, I can't trust anything, mm. and it can make that, for, that can be frustrating. It can or... be frustrating, but I understand that I understand that that's the point of the movie, mm-hmm. so I don't want to like I don't criticize it too much. Yeah, but but, but it's not fun a, being in that feeling. Yes, it's like, it's a wait, lot more so fun after the fact. Yeah, to to go back and make those connections and pieces together. But and that is just a that's just a barrier that they have to get over. But because they decided they set out to tell it with this style and and uh, yeah. structure. Because I thought the same way. I'm like, wait, I I hate unreliable narratives or yes, narrators. I know. I I'm kind yeah. of the same way. Like, let me settle in. You know, just let me yeah. settle in. Um, what else we got? Um, I'm forgetting lately. We've got unsung, unsung hero. And what are we watching? Okay, unsung yeah. hero. Man, I'm gonna go with the the green tapestry. Uh, <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever those. What are those green sheets? And the way they like collapse onto themselves when they fall. That moment, I want to live yeah. in that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's. Oh, I, you know what? Uh, can I tell you why I love that moment so much? Because there was so much breeze happening. Yeah, in that palace, could, it, it just it just felt my, like a my, cool day. I know my living room's hot, and I'm like, man, that feels organic and nice. Oh my gosh! Like I just want to stand there and have the sheets fall on me, but then they blow away. Oh my it's gosh! So cool. I know, I know. And, and I that green is just very pleasant. It's so pleasant. Yeah. So I'm going with those green sheets dropping. All right, you ready for my unsung hero? Hit me. Okay, in the first in the first sequence, the red. Uh, oh, I know color. what you're gonna say. Uh, what am I gonna say? Because I don't. You're gonna I don't, say the old man no, calligraphy. Not not the old man. He's great though. At, he is great at the calligraphy school. Uh, the 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 emperor's army is descending on this village, and it is just. I mean, it is like the most Quentin Tarantino part of this movie is like the extreme amount of arrows that get blasted oh, into this place. The CGI arrows. Yeah. Uh, but like the arrows are coming through the ceiling and coming through the walls, and the 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 teacher at the calligraphy school says, "Well, we, we just need to practice our calligraphy. That's the answer to this." And there right. are some there are some people in that scene. There are some calligraphy students in that scene that get hit with arrows and then just press on with their calligraphy. <laughs> <They're> like, Ow! <laughs> just keep going. Yeah, that's a great scene. It is. It is a delight. <laughs> like some of them by the end of it are just like collapsed in the yeah, ground dead slumped over but like, some but of them practiced. Like, have arrows coming out of their back and you can see them they're still writing yeah that's a good moment yeah um all right what did what, you watch this week um i watched um i feel like i got a lot yeah oh i got two um i watched jfk oliver stone's jfk um for the first time probably about 10 years. I watched it in college and I was super impressed. Um, I, I told you 
before we're getting on, but just really mm-hmm. quick, the way that Oliver Stone mixes real found footage mm-hmm. and then creates his own found footage and mixes it together to create these kind of this this uh, fading line between fiction and reality in this movie is so masterful. And the way that he the way he gets away with these long monologues from Kevin Costner and other characters explaining conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. and and what you're seeing is just montages. You hear the monologue and then you see montages of found footage, some real, some fake. And it's like so watchable, but on paper it doesn't feel like this movie should be watchable at all. Right. Um, But he is, but it's, it's, it is such incredible filmmaking because I, I it's a three eight plus hour movie and I was like oh this is great there, I was not bored at all. Recommend? Yeah, if you haven't seen JFK, it's it's a really a, an amazing movie. Um, and then I watched The Card Counter, the new Paul Schrader movie oh, with Oscar Isaac, which we were going to do an episode on, but alas, not being shown in Reading. What else is new? It's crazy. I loved I loved The Card Counter. You know, it's funny. We got dinner from a place in Reading today, and I, as I was driving home, I had the thought of, this is like that uh, prison experiment effect. What's that called? Where you, like, fall in love with your captor? Oh, it's Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> yeah, so I was like, this whole city is Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> like, I, it's driving me crazy in so many ways, uh-huh. and yet I'm still here. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah, totally. But, um, um, yeah, I love I loved the card counter. Um, I I like uh, First Reformed was a movie I loved from a couple years ago with Paul Brutal Schrader, movie. um, and this is definitely a Paul Schrader movie. Um, it is challenging, and a main plot line is that the card counter, the uh, titular card counter, was a um. Iraq war vet who participated in the torture in the Abu Ghraib prison. Um, and oh boy. there are some sequences that take place in Abu Ghraib, very stylized, but it's still like not what you want. Um, right. uh, but the, the movie is really good. And, and I just am really fascinated by a lot of it, but really the performances that Paul Schrader gets out of some of his actors, mm. uh, Tiffany Haddish is, do you know Tiffany Haddish? That's yeah. a comic. Yeah, 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 and and like she is, just has a dynamism in her performances, right? She's very mm-hmm. expressive and in, in like a totally believable way. I think she's a great actress. Yeah, but there's a flatness to her delivery to a lot of her lines in this movie, and I think if I didn't know Tiffany Haddish, I would think oh, this this girl doesn't know how to act. But I mm. but I'm like, Schrader is making her do something different here. Yeah, and it's really working, but it's really disrupting me, mm. and and he does that uh, throughout the movie um, with with some of the uh, supporting characters. It's really interesting. It's it's a great movie. So yeah, check out the card counter if you can. <sighs> if you can, being yep. the uh, the emphasis there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched the hunt for the wilder people, and I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love that? what like you watch a movie you. and then yeah it yeah it doesn't work it, it wasn't for me yeah. and specifically there's a song in the movie where it's like i'm alone in the ocean blue and i'm like i'm done <laughs> <laughs> I, 
like the sound of the song and the lyrics were every type of music that I hate. Mm. And the rest of the soundtrack was more the same. But really, you know, it was perfectly pleasant, charming movie, but it just was not for me at all. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And if you love it, that's great. Um, And maybe coming off that energy, we watched The Wizard of Oz, and I gave it a three and a half stars. (laughs) That was so brutal, Mitchell. You gave The Wizard of Oz three and a half stars. I was in a bad mood. And my review was, those damn monkeys scared my kids. (laughs) Screw this movie. Because he started freaking out at that part. And so I was like just irritated that this movie would do this to him. I, I revised my review later, but just goes to show that and, your mood. And I've you had also, some revisions this week. Yeah, you also watched You've Got Mail twice. <laughs> I watched You've Got Mail twice. Sarah, Sarah, uh, the first night I was like, oh, just put it on. I got work to do. And the next night was her movie night night. And she's like, oh, we're doing it again. And I'm like, no, please don't do this to me. It's very the, good. I love that movie. The first time, like three and a half. This is solid. And the second time I'm watching, I'm like, okay. So let me get this straight. He shuts down her business. And uh, she loses family inheritance, the thing that she loves most in life, most passionate about this bookstore. And it's gone. And then he also plays you know virtual mind games with her for weeks trying to win her back and then they just get together and she's fine with it and and then the, okay the so 90s man she loses everything but gets him the the monster that shut her down he loses nothing and gets the girl yeah i understand and i try to explain this to sarah and she's like no he realizes that you know he's kind of a jerk and i'm like Okay, if <laughs> if my lifelong business, passion business shut down, but as long as I know that the Jeff Bezos that did it, as long as he knows he's a jerk, <laughs> then we're going to be friends after? It's like, no. Bad movie. I do not accept this. Tom Hanks can't have everything. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> it's a very charming movie, but he gets everything in the end. It, it is very, me crazy. It's so charming. It's like so... I, so- it, I dropped I it a half so, star for that. I don't know if it's just the 9-11 stuff, but I have just, like, so much, like, pre-9-11 nostalgia this week. Oh, I know. Like, oh, New York's nice. New York, New York, New York. That, like, and the innocence of, like, AOL Instant Messenger. That's the other thing. There's no way these are the two people on the other end of these screen names. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In the 90s, that's what it was. It like, wasn't these two people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so I love it. I love it. Th- yeah, those are those are my. I watched. <laughs> You've got mail twice. Reviewed Wizard of Oz twice and Wilder People. Uh, so. Great. And lots uh, of Twin Peaks season three. Oh, good. Um, so uh, Mitchell, what are we watching next week? We are watching Cry Macho and Unforgiven. So we're doing a Clint Eastwood double feature. Clint Eastwood, 91 years old, still pumping the movies out. He's got a new movie, Cry Macho, um, is uh, coming out this Friday on HBO Max. So and in theaters. A, and in theaters. It is available for streaming and in theaters, HBO Max this Friday. Um, so we're uh, the idea here was kind of like, hey, hey, let's watch Cry Macho. But also, this, again, again, the curation, the any excuse to go back kind of a thing. Let's go back. Let's watch Unforgiven. This is the Best Picture winning. Clint Eastwood wins for Best Director this year for this movie. Um, and when Clint did Unforgiven, he said that it was going to be his last Western. I mean, this is a guy who came up in the the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, like, 
you know, he invented westerns. I mean, yeah, he's so identifiable with with westerns. Unforgiven was going to be his last western, and Cry Macho really is this kind of neo western. Um, for for the first time in almost thirty years, Clint is coming back to this genre. Um, yeah, and so it almost feels like his black star. Not to get too dark. Oh the the David Bowie the album. The David Bowie album. Oh man. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like all right? This is my time. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that or that Leonard Cohen album. <laughs> yeah, and you want it darker. <laughs> you want it darker. If you want, it some, might as well be the soundtrack to a lot of Clint's movies. Literally, if you want dark, miserable old man, cry macho. I'm assuming it's going to be your movie, but who knows? Yeah, I don't. We I don't know anything about cry macho. I've never seen Unforgiven, so uh, we're we're doing the Clint Eastwood deep dive this week, I guess. Heck yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And and Unforgiven, I should say, is also streaming right now on HBO Max. Boom. Double whammy movie night. Yeah. Or uh, what's that called? Double feature. Double feature. So double, in the meantime. Double whammy movie night. <laughs> I didn't think double whammy was the actual name. Just an exclamation from the yeah. early 2000s that yeah, I hit you yeah, with. Yeah. Whammo! <laughs> um, in the meantime, follow us on Instagram. Say, we do a lot of early 2000s nostalgia. What in the world? The Conan stuff. Why wouldn't we? That's our time where our brains are being formed. Man, all right. Sorry, go ahead. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Never not. Anyway, you can follow us on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep. And uh, if you're feeling generous and, you know, want to help out a plucky podcast like us. That's right. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts and, and leave a rating. Preferably a high rating. And share the podcast with a friend. Heck yeah. They'd yeah. love it too, I'm assuming. Yeah. We will see you next week for our Clint Eastwood double feature, Cry Macho and Unforgiven. In the meantime, have a great week. Good night, y'all. Bye. Horatio Sands is a national treasure. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Oh, my God.